Silent as the sun rising in the morning sky. Silent as a star shooting through the night. Silent as a shark circling the ocean floor. Silent as a snowflake landing on the tip of the tongue. Are you silent, Lord? Silent as a two-year-old napping on the summer lawn. Silent as a flower petal unfolding into bloom. Silent as the music to Beethoven's ears. Silent as a baby's kick inside his mother's womb. Are you silent, Lord? Silent as the fluttering feathers of eagle's wings. Silent as a lover's glance across a crowded room. Silent as that tiger on the prowl. Silent as an empty tomb. Are you silent, Lord? Sometimes I just don't recognize your voice. You ever feel like that? Will you stare at the night sky and just kind of listen to its silence? We believe in a God who created all this and sustains all this and a personal God who wants to be engaged with us and speak with us and talk with us and lead us and guide us. But sometimes doesn't it feel like it's like, why are, are you so silent? It's, you ever call out for God and, and sometimes you just lay it all on the table because it's like there's something that you just believe is so God's will and you want it so badly and you just lay it all on the table and then there's nothing in response. How many people have had their heart broken because you dared to believe, you dared to trust, you put it all out there on the line and nothing happened? And for a lot of folks, that's kind of a, a permanent state of being. It just feels like God is not real. Let's just get real about this. It feels like God's not real. Like this is a guy uh, a couple of years ago um, who, who he, he, he came in to see me. He'd been raised a Christian, been a Christian all of his life, very devout Christian, and but he was about ready to throw it in. He's in his early 30s, and, and he, he had about had it. And the reason was because he says, I'm just tired of this being a one-way conversation. I'm just really tired of it. It's, it's, my Christianity is nothing but a set of rules. I'm supposed to live this way. I'm supposed to do these, with these things. I'm supposed to think this way. Supposed to, supposed to, supposed to. But I don't feel any reciprocity on God's part. I don't feel any, people talk about feeling God's presence. Well, I never have. People talk about feeling God's love. Well, I never have. Or gazing on his beauty. I don't even know what that means. He just couldn't connect with God. He believed it was all true. He'd had good reasons for believing it was all true. But it just didn't feel real. He never heard from God. Can you relate to that? I think all of us can at least at times. For some folks, it's kind of a permanent state of being. They feel like they're believers in an atheistic world. They believe it all is true, but the, in terms of their experience, it's no different than what they would experience if they were atheists. But all of us go through patches like this. Kind of a desert, dark night of the soul sort of a thing. Um, so the question that we're looking at in this series, we're starting a new series here called Listen Up. And it's about listening to God. How to hear the voice of God. How to, how to tap into that. How to really be led by God, so that it's not just a one-way conversation. Um, how do we experience God? What does that look like? Is it possible to live 
day by day in a reality that where you're aware that, that God is with you at all times and wants to lead you and guide you. And, and there may be things that he wants you to do that you didn't plan on doing. When was the last time, think about this, when was the last time you did something that wasn't part of your plan on doing? Uh, that where, where God just sort of interrupted what you were doing to, to, to uh, share his plans, where he would like you to go. See, here's the thing is that for us, that we, we all at times struggle with that. Like, what, is it, what does it look like to hear God's voice? What does it look like to obey God's voice and not look like a wacko in the process? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we wrestle with that. But what's so interesting is that in the early church, in the early church, hearing God and responding to God was just sort of the norm. Hey, before I go any further, commercial break. Um, two, two, two resources here I want to tell you about uh, uh, in terms of hearing God. One is Dallas Willard, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Uh, Dallas Willard, excellent book in terms of just learning how to hear God and, uh, and tap into that. Another really good one is from a friend of mine, Brad Jerzak. Can you hear me? Tuning in to the God who speaks. Uh, this is one of his first books, published in 2003. Both of them are very, very good. So they'll go deeper than we can go in, in a message here. But uh, I wanted to say this. To, to those of you who are, who are stuck, who feel like you're stuck in this sort of atheistic world where you just don't seem like, seem like you hear God, you never experience God, you hear about other people hearing the Holy Spirit or sensing the Holy Spirit, but it's just, there's nothing in your life that corresponds to that. I want to just say this, that... I don't know why, what it is about how you're doing your, your relationship with God in your head that is, that is cutting off your experience, but I'll say this. Even apart from the lack of experience that you have and explaining why that is the case, that we, we, we want to look at that because I think experiencing God and, and having it real in our life is important. But, but whether or not we can explain that in your life, um, I encourage you to just lock it in that God looks like Jesus Christ, and what God thinks about you is found in Jesus Christ. I, I encourage you to lock it in. This passage has just been burning in my heart. Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says that he wants uh, all, all of his, his believers in Colossae to, to be assured. Uh, can you put a verse up there? Have full assurance that, uh, and understand and have the knowledge of God's mystery. And the knowledge of God's mystery is Christ. Christ himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know about God and yourself and other people and what God's up to in this world is found in the person of Jesus Christ, especially Jesus Christ crucified. And so I encourage you to don't give your experience or lack thereof the authority to define truth for you. Rather, know why you believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we've got books out there in the gathering area if you need to get into apologetics and know the historical and philosophical reasons for accepting this is true. But having resolved it as true, let that be your anchor, not your experience. Uh, thank God when you can experience the things of God. That, that's wonderful to have encounters with God that transform you. That's wonderful. But don't base your faith on those experiences. Because I don't know if you've found this to be true or not, but experiences are very fickle things. Feelings are very fickle things. They're wonderful when you have them. Whoa, they can be so strong when you have them. Whoa, you can make you do crazy things like say I do when you have those feelings, but you don't always have those feelings. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The, the feelings come and go, you know, based on hormones and circumstances and what you had for dinner and how much sleep you got the night before and a thousand other variables, okay? So you can't count on those. Thank God when they're there and when they're communicating truth, when they're aligned with truth, but don't base what you believe on your experience. Rather, 
the goal of our life, this is what discipleship is, is to try to get our experience to line up with what is true. So don't base what is true on your experience. Rather, try to get your experience to line up with what is true. And how do you know what is true? Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. It may feel to you like God has abandoned you, but look to the cross. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It may feel like God's just completely unreal in your life, but, but the cross reveals that he's an ever-present reality of self-sacrificial love in your life. It may seem like, like God just doesn't, doesn't care about you, that God doesn't love you. The circumstances of your life may lead you to believe that he's just left you out to dry, but you keep your eyes fixed on the cross. We live in this war zone where all sorts of crappy stuff can happen for no good reason whatsoever. So don't base any of your interpretation of who God is or who you are on the circumstances of your life, on the good or the bad fortune or anything of the sort. Uh, anchor your faith completely in the cross. And then we'll take experience as it comes. Uh, hang in there. Keep your eyes fixed on him. The thing that is kind of frustrating is that while we struggle with this so much, in the early church it was just normal to hear from God. It was just considered normal. So here, here's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says that all the children, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It's the defining characteristic of a child of God, is that you're led by the Spirit of God. And the reason is because when you surrendered your life to Christ, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, we're done with that thing. But you've received a spirit of adoption when you cry, Abba, Father, or whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, so here Paul's saying the, the, the defining mark of a child of God is that you've surrendered your life to Christ. And when you've surrendered your life to Christ, the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself comes and takes up residence inside of you. And, and, and that Spirit now wants to lead you, wants to talk with you, wants to guide you. That's what it is to be a child of God is you're led by the Spirit, which means there are some things you do only because the Spirit told you to. It means that your, your own plans don't exhaustively define your, your, your goal for the day. Rather, you go throughout the day also asking, Lord, what would you have me do? To be led by the Spirit. You're listening to his voice. It was the norm in the early church. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. That's just what they'll do. They'll follow me. They won't follow another. They know the sound of my voice. And notice that Paul here says, that all the children of God uh, are led by the Spirit of God. In other words, being led by the Spirit of God isn't something that's just for those real mature Christians, those real spiritual Christians. Being led by the Spirit of God. Some of those things, it's just, if you've got a master in divinity, maybe, then you'll qualify. Uh, you have to meet this sort of minimum IQ, right? You've got to meet a minimum maturity level. He doesn't say it's just for those, those prophets or those pastors or those teachers or those important people, the respectable people. Rather, if you're a child of God, if you're surrendered to Jesus Christ, uh, then God wants to talk with you. God wants to lead you. God wants to be involved in your life, the details of your life. You, the creator of the universe, it kind of blows me away when I think about it. God Almighty, the one who's sustaining me in existence right now, sustaining you in existence right now, wants to speak with us, wants to talk with us. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what your past has been, whether you've been crystal clean or whether you've been, had a pretty jaded past. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what your reputation is. If you're surrendered to Jesus Christ, God wants to talk to you. God wants to use you because God's madly in love with you. No ifs, ands, or buts, no qualifications. If you're a child of God, then you're to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul says in Acts 2, the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And, and Peter stands up to preach to them. And they all, now we had just heard uh, the apostles speaking, everyone in their own language, so that was a miracle. 
showing that the language barriers in Babel are being reversed and torn down wherever the Spirit of God is moving. Talked about that a little bit last week. And, and he says, this thing that you're seeing here on the day of Pentecost, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. When Joel said in Joel 2 that the Spirit in the end times, in the last days, in this last chapter in which we are still in, uh, the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. All flesh. Up to this point in time, in the, Holy, in, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would be given just to select individuals. Almost always male. Special individuals who would speak a special word of God. But in this last epic, Peter stands up and tells these people, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And what he means by that is, well, all kinds of nations, as is clear by the fact that now the, this, this miracle has happened where everyone hears the apostles in their own language. So the Spirit's going to be poured out on, on all different kinds of people, all different kinds of ethnicities. No longer is this going to be a specifically Jewish thing. And the Spirit of God will be poured out on all different kinds of people. Uh, unexpected kinds of people. And so Peter says, it's not just going to be on your old. You expect that in ancient Judaism, but it's also going to be on your young. Your children are going to prophesy. It's not just on your sons. You expect that in ancient Israel, but even on your daughters. It's not just going to be on the free people. You expect that, but it's even going to be on the slave. The slave daughters are going to prophesy. Slave daughters are going to have a word of God that they're going to speak boldly. And if it's the word of God, that means even the masters have to obey it. When the Spirit of God is moving, social structures are going to be subverted because the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh, praise God. No, no, no distinctions, no categories, no, 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 no rankings here. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is for you, wants to use you, wants to transform you, wants to transform people through you. It's for all people, hallelujah. The categories have been removed. So Paul even says, he says, look, it's, it's especially on those in, in Romans 12, he says, it's especially those folks who seem the weakest, who, who the world judges as the least important, who the world judges as invisible, and those roles that seem so insignificant, uh, those are the ones in the body of Christ that have to give, be given special esteem. The world gives special esteem to the people who obviously deserve it, who have the wow, the pizzazz going for them. But in, in, in the body of Christ, it's, it's the, the, the weaker something is, the lower something is, the less important it seems the more we're going to value it. That's what Paul says in, in, in Romans 12. And the reason is because we folks are to be a people who put on display the power of the cross, which I've been a little obsessed with the last couple of weeks, haven't I? But the power of the cross, it subverts everything. That's why Colossians 2 is so important. All the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge are found in the cross. Because see, on the cross, God, the power of the cross is the power of God's love that allows God, that enables God, that compels God to enter into solidarity with us when we are at our worst. The power of the cross is the power of God to show forth God's power, his might, by appearing weak, by taking on our weakness, and his beauty by taking on our ugliness, and his, 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 his wisdom by taking on our, our foolishness. The power, that's why the cross is called the, the wisdom and the power of God. And that's the power that we're to trust. Power is found in, 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 in our weakness. That's why Paul said he's not embarrassed by the fact that he's not eloquent. He's not embarrassed by the fact that he's not wise. He's not embarrassed by the fact that he doesn't have a perfect memory and he makes mistakes. He's not embarrassed by the fact that he's got this weird thorn in the flesh, whatever that happened to be. Rather, he says, if I was strong in all those areas, I'd rob the cross of its power. It's because I'm weak, because I'm broken, because I'm imperfect. Well, now the power of the cross can shine through because it shows forth the glory of a God who can stoop to enter into solidarity with an imperfect person like me and who can talk to an imperfect person like me and who can use an imperfect person like me. That's the power of the cross, praise God. And that's the power that we're supposed to be about in everything that we do. That's why I, I let last week compare what God does with us to, with, with kintsuki art. 
Kintsuki art. The word is Japanese. It means golden joinery. And, and so when someone breaks an heirloom, a precious vase or a glass or a, or a plate or whatever, you try to restore it. You try to restore it, but you can never get it back to where it was because you'll always see those cracks, those embarrassing cracks. Oh, it used to be so beautiful, but now it's going to be, well, whatever it is, it's subpar. Right? It's lost its value. But see, in Kintsuki art, they say, Look, let's not be embarrassed by the cracks. Let's celebrate them. Uh, and so they bring this beautiful golden lacquer, and they, they just said, let's highlight those cracks. Let's make something beautiful out of those cracks. And, and it won't be what it was, but it'll be better than it was. It still has all the memories it used to have. It's still an heirloom, but now it tells a story. The story of how Johnny pushed over the table and it fell on the table, uh, floor, whatever. It, it tells the story of its own brokenness, which is what all of our cracks do. And see, God is a master at this. We saw last week how God, the power of the cross, the love that was displayed on, on the cross, is going throughout the whole cosmos, Paul says in Colossians 1. And it's bringing shalom, reconciliation to everything. It's weaving together everything into a beautiful whole. And that's what God's doing in each of our lives. And that's what God's to be doing in the church. And so, so we are to be a Kintsuki people to, who confess, we're all broken. We're all broken. We're all shattered to pieces far more than we would ever realize. But praise God, the love of God is putting us together. And putting us together not just in a way that will restore us to the way that we should have been, but that will make us better for it. He turns everything to his advantage, everything the world considers a disadvantage. Every one of those cracks, every one of those wounds, those scars, those imperfections, those mistakes, those failures, those screw-ups, every one of them become, become material for God to work his beautiful Kintsuki artwork, hallelujah, to bring good out of that, beauty out of that, weaving together it as a whole. So we highlight that. We're not embarrassed by the cracks and the faults and the imperfections. No, we say, praise God, that's the power of the cross. That's the power of the cross. And what it means, folks, is this. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I am just too outside. I'm too... I'm too unholy. I'm, I'm too sinful. I've, I, I've screwed up too much. God, God would never talk with me. Maybe you've been afflicted with that stupid uh, it, it, uh, yes, but disease where it's like, yes, it's, God loves everyone, but, but, but it doesn't apply to me. God wants to use other people, but it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, God, God blesses other people, it just doesn't apply to me. Yeah, that verse is true, but it just doesn't apply to me. That is a lie out of the pit of hell, and the sooner you can call it that, the better off you're going to be and the more free you're going to be, all right? If the cross means anything, it's a big yes for you. Yes, even you. It applies to you. God wants to talk to you. He loves you, wants to use you, wants to transform you, and wants to use you to transform other people. It is for you, praise God. In fact, if you're on the, you think you're on the outside, you're one of the marginalized people, you're one of the, you just don't fit in, well, I'm here to tell you that according to Paul's teaching, uh, God's got a special role for you. Precisely because you're so weak and you're so broken and you're so mixed up and screwed up and look what God's doing in your life. Precisely because of that, you've got an especially important role to play in the body of Christ. There is no you that is outside the you that's encompassed by who God wants to love and who God wants to use and who God wants to use to bless other people. Amen? And the cross is all-inclusive. It, it, it strikes me that this is like, the last couple of weeks has just been striking me how the, the, the cross just changes everything. It's like, in, in the consumer model of the church, I touched on this last week, but the whole thing is, you know, and this is the kind of dominant model in America because we're all kind of consumers. We all identify with that. Uh, we're consuming units. We get it our way. And so we naturally tend to treat church that way. What do I prefer? What do I want? What do I get? And, and, and then the, 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 what pastors are supposed to do if they're smart is to say, okay, what, what do people want? Let's give it to them. And so, so we, you, you try to attract people here. Look what we have. And you put out your strengths. We've got really kicking music. 
We've got the kicking auditorium. We've got a really funny pastor. We've got a good children's program. We've got a great jungle gym and trampolines. And, and we've got coffee holders in our, in our seats here. We've got great parking. And, and so you put forth the strength because you want to get as many people to come as possible. And then you want to keep them coming. So you've got to keep on doing that. And whoever has the most people wins. Okay, so that's kind of the contest. But see, it seems like, and, and I'm all for putting out your best. Uh, you, we, you need to give people as many reasons to stay because we give people a lot of reasons not to stay, right? Uh, in terms of what we preach. So you want to, yeah, I'm all for that. Put your best foot forward. But on the other hand, I've been thinking, do we define best the way the world defines best? With the wow, the pizzazz, the ooh, cool. Or do we find best according to the cross? Because all the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge are found in the cross. And if you define best by the cross, well, then we ought to be asking the question, how do we display our cracks? How, how, how do we display, you know, God's kintsuki art? Uh, um, I, how do we put on, on, on display the weakness, our weakness, our vulnerabilities, our imperfections? Because that's the power of the cross. And it, it will attract those who've got eyes to see and ears to hear. It will repel plenty of people. But we don't want to be the pizzazz. We, we want to be the authentic, broken people who are the, the masterpieces of God's masterful kintsuki artwork. Amen? And that's what we want to display. How do we, I don't know. We're looking into that. How do we display our weaknesses more? That's why I think whenever I can be vulnerable up here, it helps. Because that's what the kingdom's all about. It's not in our strength that we see the glory of God. It's in our weakness. It's in our weakness. So the first surprising thing in the New Testament is who gets uh, to the, the Holy Spirit to be poured out on? And the answer is everybody. But what's also interesting is just how normative this was. How, how it was just part of their everyday stuff. So as I showed in Romans 8, uh, he says, all of the children, what it means to be a child of God is that you're led by the Spirit of God. That's just what it means. And Jesus says, my sheep, here's a distinctive thing about them. They'll hear my voice, and they'll be following me. And you find this throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 13, for example, uh, the, the, the community's praying, and the Holy Spirit tells them, through a prophetic word, to set apart Paul and Barnabas to do this work for the Gentiles. And then in Acts 15, they're having this big dispute about uh, what, what rules should the Gentiles uh, obey to be in fellowship with the Jewish Christians, and they're disputing this. And they finally come up to this conclusion in Acts 15 where it says, well, James says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to just have these four requirements for Gentiles. So you know, they, were, they were hammering it out, but they were also aware that the Holy Spirit was involved in their arguing, involved in their dispute, and they came to a consensus, and they said, well, this is the Holy Spirit. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. But there's a sense of immediacy. The Holy Spirit's real. It's not just a belief that we have. The Holy Spirit's a, 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 a real presence that leads us and guides us and moves us. The Holy Spirit would tell them where to go and when to go and when not to go. So, for example, in Acts 16, we read this. It says, uh, they, Paul and Barnabas, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's just interesting. The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go to Asia to preach. So when they'd come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I don't want you to go into Bithynia. Now, we don't know why. Who knows why? God knows. But uh, the Spirit, they were listening, and I, I bet you if they had gone into Bithynia, maybe it was, some good would have come of it, but it would have been the good that came because they didn't go into Bithynia. Uh, in all likelihood, see, the Spirit knows the hearts of people, right? And, 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 and so the Spirit knows, hey, here is a, a harvest that's ripe for picking. Here's a harvest that's not ripe for picking. So don't waste your time over here. Go over here. Which means if, if, if you're listening to the Spirit, you might save yourself a whole lot of time. 
I wonder sometimes if Jesus had, had such a high percentage rate. He, he didn't bat 100% in terms of his healing ministry. In his own hometown, he couldn't do many miracles. But, but, he, but he had pretty close to 100%. I wonder if part of that's because he said, I'm always listening to my Father. I only do what the, the Father tells me to do. And so maybe the Spirit was leading him. Like, oh, no, that, they're not ready yet. But these folks here, they, they're ready. And, and so you're just going where, 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 where it's fruitful to go. I don't know. I don't know. But the Spirit of God is supposed to be leading us. So the question is, if, if the Spirit was so real to them and so immediate to them, day by day, leading them, why don't we regularly feel that? At least, why don't most of us regularly feel that? What is the problem? Now, there are some people who will just say, well, there's no problem because you're not supposed to feel the Spirit anymore. That was for the first century. These folks are called cessationists because they think that the supernatural presence and the workings of the Spirit ceased in the first century. Cessationists. So in the first century, they had the gifts of the Spirit and tongues and all of that stuff, and the Spirit was leading them and guiding them. But that was just for the first century, they say. And then the Holy Spirit withdrew, and now, now we're to go just on the basis of the Bible. So cessationists tend to be like real Bible thumpers. But, and they think that everybody who's listening, who thinks that they hear the voice of God and who thinks that they speak in tongues or have an interpretation of tongues, they think they're all just deceived. Some of them think they're deceived by the devil. Now here's the thing. There's absolutely no reason to think that God intended the Holy Spirit to be present here for the first century and then to withdraw the Holy Spirit. Like, why would God do that? That, that you know, it's like, if, if that's how God operates, then God's a little bit rude, I submit to you, because, see, Jesus comes for a bride. He's coming for a bride, right? And so he's, he comes and he sweeps the bride off her feet. The bride is all who believe, the bride of Christ. And, and comes in and just shows, demonstrates this incredible love, sweeps her off her feet, dies for her. And then goes away and says, hey, I'll, hey, I'll call you again in a couple thousand years. Who does that? <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you. You know, we'll, we'll have a long-distance relationship. Um, no, come on. If you're in love with someone, you communicate with them. It's an ongoing thing. And everything in the New Testament presupposes that these gifts are going to be around uh, for a long time. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says to the Corinthians, you know, I, I'm glad you're not coming behind in any gifts Charismata is the word he uses. Same word he uses for tongues and all those other gifts. You're not coming behind in any gifts while you're waiting for the coming of the Lord. So apparently these gifts are supposed to be in operation until the Lord comes back. So these folks who think that, 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 um, that, the, that God no longer is talking to us through the a supernatural means of the Holy Spirit, I, I, there's just not, nothing there to base it on. Besides, it wouldn't work. Look, at, we're to be the body of Christ, right? We're the, body, the bride of Christ is the body of Christ. Which means we're supposed to be connected to the head. And we're supposed to be doing the same things that Jesus' earthly body did when he was connected to the head because we're just a corporate version of who he was. We're the body of Christ. But if the head's not talking to the body, what kind of body are you going to have? It only works if the head is talking to the body. Right now, this is only working because my head is talking to my body, saying, I want you to say these words. I want you to make these hands motions. I want you to go through blah, 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 blah. So it's working right now. But if my, if my head stopped talking to my body, I'd, I'd be laying on the ground. It's like what happens when, when, when your foot stops talking to your, your head, you know, when it falls asleep. You get up and it's like, oh, it's, it's like it's Novocaine or something because there's no communication going on. And sadly, I think that's largely what's happening today. We've got a body of Christ, but it's a body of Christ that's largely paraplegic because it's just not tapped into the head. It's not getting, the, it's, it's not getting the, the information from the head. So the fingers aren't doing what the fingers are supposed to do and the eyes aren't doing what it's supposed to do and the mouth isn't doing what it's supposed to do. To a large degree, it's a, the body of Christ is just kind of hobbling around because we're not connected. 
God is saying to us, you guys, get connected, tune in. It only works if there's this ongoing relationship between the body and the head, between the bride and the groom, between Jesus and his people. I submit to you that God's still talking today. He hasn't stopped talking. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. God's always been a God who speaks, and he's a God who's still speaking. The question is, are the people of God in a position where they know how to hear and know how to respond? That's where I think, that's why this series is, I think, so absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. Now, there's, there's two reasons, well, there's actually a lot of reasons, a lot of things that can keep us from hearing God. I'm going to cover two of them in the rest of this message, and then we'll cover other ones as we go throughout this series. The first one is kind of touched on in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul says this interesting thing. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Interesting. Don't despise prophets. Now, why would anyone despise prophets? Now, look what Paul's doing here. He's saying, don't, don't just despise prophecy, but rather test it. So he's clearly dealing with some people who are saying, we're done with all prophecies. We're done with that. And Paul's saying, no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw the, the, the Holy Spirit baby out with the wacko bathwater. Uh, rather, test the prophecies. Some are going to be right and some are not. Some are going to be true and some are not. But don't throw them all out. Don't despise them all. And maybe you're here and you're asking, well, why would anyone despise prophecies in the first place? And if you're asking that question, my response is to you, you probably haven't hung out with enough Charismatics and Pentecostals. Because if you had, you would understand why people could come to the point where you despise prophecies. Can I get an amen from somebody? There's a lot of craziness out there. Paul had to deal with some of it. He had to deal with it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. The Corinthians, you know, they, they had the gifts of the Spirit all right. Uh, and Paul never questions that they're genuine. You, you know, the Holy Spirit's genuine. You have the genuine gifts of the Spirit. But what they were doing with it was crazy. Because they come together and some person would have a song they want to sing, so they start singing it. Other person's got a prophecy they want to give, they start giving it. Someone's got a speaking in tongues they want to do, and they start doing it. And everyone's doing everything at the same time. And Paul at one point, 1 Corinthians 14, says, you guys, if, if, okay, this is 101, put the quickies on the bottom shelf. If someone comes in from the outside who's not a believer and they hear you all speaking in tongues at the same time, they're going to think you're cuckoo. Okay, that's not good evangelism. So knock it off, Paul says. Do it one at a time. And after everyone, I want someone to interpret. If there's not an interpreter there, then you just speak to yourself and to God. He gives instructions to them. Now, he's doing, he's doing, he's, he's here implementing what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5. He could have just said, you Corinthians are off your rockers, you're a bunch of wackos, good night. But he didn't. It's like, no, you, you've got a genuine gift there, but you're very immature in how you're using it. And so let's test this. He, he gives some rules to it. You know, let's put some structure around it. He doesn't throw out the Holy Spirit bathwater with or the Holy Spirit baby with the, the oh, whatever. I got this all script last night. The Holy Spirit baby with the wacko bathwater. I got to remember that. It's not a wacko baby. It's a wacko bathwater. And you don't want to throw out the bathwater and keep the baby. No, so whatever. So. God didn't send me to speak with eloquent words of wisdom, all right? <laughs> I can fall back on Paul on that one. Um, um, so, so here's the thing. You, you can, it's, whenever you're dealing with people, you're going to be dealing with some uh, random elements that could get very interesting and crazy. And those of us who, when you have an understanding that God, God can speak to you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever, however the world looks at you, however lowly you may be, you can, God wants to speak to you and God wants to use you. 
And when you put that out there, well, there's a lot of folks who are going to use that. They're very needy. They've got their issues. They've got their whatever. And, and, and things can get very kind of crazy with that. Um, it'd be easier to... I have had times in my life where it's like I would really rather have Christianity just be an ethical system that I do and, and get rid of all this spiritual stuff because it gets so flaky sometimes. Oh, yeah, it gets flaky sometimes. So I've told this story before, but it's too good not to tell again. Uh, so I was a 22-year-old uh, uh, student uh, at, at, at Yale, just started at, at, uh, did my grad work there, and I was assistant pastor at this church. Uh, but the pastor had left uh, and left me to take over this whole church. And I found out that there's this huge war going on in this church. Has been for 50 years between two giant families who are always struggling for power. Now I find out about this right after the pastor leaves. And it's a Pentecostal church, so we believe that if you say, thus says the Lord, everyone has to pay attention to you. And so we were having this person come in to candidate for the pastoral position. They actually offered it to me, and I said, no way. Because this thing, oh, it was ugly. This is split here. And it was just under the surface. As soon as the pastor leaves, boom, here comes this ugly warfare. I'd never seen anything like this. I'm just 22-year-old. I'm naive. I don't know anything. I'm just trying to get my degree and get out of here. But okay, so the, 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 I'm, I'm trying to hold this church together. Well, this candidate comes to pass, to, to, the pastor comes to candidate. To try out to be a senior pastor here. And, and, and I'm leading the song service. I actually used to do this in this one church. You know, by and by when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home. We used to do the hymns like that. And so I, 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 I can do this. I used to, I'm very talented, actually. Okay, so, so I, I'm leading the song service, and I just get done with this song. I think it was by and by. Um, and then all of a sudden, someone stands up to, pro to quote-unquote prophesy. And this person happened to be on the, uh, the representative of the family and the group of people aligned with this family that were not in power, who want to get in power. And now that the pastor leaves, there's a power vacuum. So this person gets a prophecy. I'm sure they were sincere about this. But they prophesied that the board, the current board, is not of God. They're supposed to step down. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Then that immediately gives rise to another counter-prophecy. Someone stands up and says, that's a false prophet because the board we have right now is the board that God has anointed for this time and season. All right. So then someone stands up and gives a prophecy against that person. No, this first prophecy was right. The board here is ungodly. We need to get another board. And all of a sudden there's a chain reaction of these prophecies against one another. That says the Lord, you're wrong. And everyone's pointing fingers and howling. And I'm still trying to go by and by when the morning comes. It's like, like what was happening here? What's happening here? And then we had just converted in this church, this, this tribe of, of gypsies, um, about 30, 35 f folks. And, and, and uh, they hardly spoke any English, uh, and they're in incredibly passionate people and very emotional. And I don't know what they were doing, but all of a sudden they all, and whatever they did, they always did as a group. It was interesting. But they all stood up and started marching around the auditorium. And, and, and they were rebuking something, but I don't know who they were rebuking. But they're like, oh, Jesus, we rebuke it, we rebuke it. So there's that, that carnival's going on. People are hollering at one another. I look up, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in charge. And I, look, and I see out the door in our vestibule, what we call a gathering area, two guys are fist fighting. <laughs> they go, and one was punching the other. And I start to giggle, because what else are you going to do? It's like, it's this craziness. But as if that wasn't enough, then the, the, the pastor who's candidating, he gets up, and he's going to take charge. Oh, yeah, he's going to take charge. So he gets up, he tells the organist to crank it all the way up, and he starts singing, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above, while people are screaming at each other, thus says the Lord. There's a fight going out on the vestibule, and the gypsies are marching. It was, this is, this is Monty Python. This is, this is, and I, I finally just leaned against, and I started like laughing. It's like, this is, this is, this is as entertaining as it gets. 
Uh, it was. And then when it's finally done, you get this really awkward silence like, did we just do that? <laughs> what was that? It was, it, was, it was very embarrassing. And now, my job was to welcome the newcomers. So <laughs> I'd like to welcome all of you who are here for the first time. Um, I bet you've never been to a church quite like this. <laughs> We're not boring. All right, so come back, see what's going to happen next week. I wanted so bad at that moment to become a Buddhist. I, I don't want any of this nonsense, craziness, idiocy, you see. And I, I think a lot of people are in this position where, where um, it, it's like a lot of folks, they see that craziness, and it's like, who's got time for that? Who wants to deal with that? But see, the alternative folks is then to think that I think just to have sort of biblical deism. Well, yeah, we got our Bible, we got our rules, we got our doctrines, and God's up there, and we're down here, and we're just kind of going to go through the whole thing. And that is not the kingdom, folks. The kingdom was meant to be this dynamic reality, this engagement with God, where we're talking to God, and God's talking to us, and God's moving on us, and we're obeying him, and we're the body of Christ. It's meant to be this, be this living reality. And so the bottom line is we just got to lock in. What do you, what do you believe? I've had to do this. Like, what, what do I believe? And I can give you all the reasons why I believe in Jesus. All the reasons why I think the Bible's inspired. And that therefore, all the reasons why I think it's teaching about the Holy Spirit being present today is for us today. I can tell you all that. And, and if I have those reasons, and I encourage you to have your own reasons, look into this. But then, if, I, if that is true, then I, my job is to live as though that's true. And to think as though that's true. And, and so I am going to be pursuing God to hear from God. Because my Bible tells me that that's what's supposed to happen. And I've got reasons for thinking that Bible's true. As long as I've got those reasons for thinking this is true, then I don't need to concern myself with how wacko it gets, how crazy it can get. I don't have to take responsibility for the world. I don't have to explain all the craziness that's out there. I, I can just say, look, here's why I believe and here's why I'm marching in this way and leave it at that. Don't let the wackos ruin it for you. That's the bottom line here. Don't let the wackos ruin it for you. Don't throw the Holy Spirit baby out with the wacko bathwater. You, you see, it, it's, no, it, it's, the worst thing that can happen is for you to get in your head, and I've had to wrestle with this at times, where I think I'm getting a word from the Lord, a voice, a, an impulse, or something like that, and then there's a voice in my head that goes, uh-oh, now you're acting like one of the wackos. See, if you, if you get that in your head, it will, just, it will undermine the voice of God in your head. It will undermine the voice, because you'll always be paranoid. Know why you believe in having gotten that. You proceed forward. And of course people are going to, whack, are going to flake out on it. What, what aspect of Christianity haven't human beings screwed up royally? And the answer is, no, we, we, we screwed up all of it. Jesus comes and says, hey, love your enemies. Do good to those who bless you, who, who persecute you. Never engage in violence. Wonderful. A couple hundred years later, his followers are, in his name, going out and killing people uh, who, who, who they think are heretics. What's wrong with this picture? In the name of the one who told you never to commit violence, you're going to go off and cut, cut off people's heads. We've always screwed up stuff like that, but it doesn't mean the fact that people can take Jesus and, 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 and murder people in his name doesn't mean that Jesus forbid murdering. You see, and the fact that there are people who will take, and, and we don't need to judge them. There may be, who knows what's going on in their life, but they abuse some of this. They do it out of order. They do crazy stuff. They do wacko things. They do embarrassing things. Well, that's what people do, but don't let that, don't let that disqualify you from hearing from God and walking in God's spirit and obeying God. What it means to believe in, in, in Jesus and to believe in his word means that, that, that you don't just assume that everything that's going on in your head is your own doing. And, and, and this is like a fundamental assumption of our culture. Probably the, the biggest thing we're up against when it comes to really hearing God is that we all, on a fundamental level, are conditioned to believe 
that we live in a closed universe. Where for every natural effect, there's a natural cause. And, and, and we apply that to our minds. We live in a closed universe in our minds. So we assume that everything that goes on in our minds is our own doing. You see, this is the second way that we can despise prophecies. We don't do it intentionally, but we can do it unintentionally. We're, we're, here's the thing. We're so used to doing our own thing and going our own way that if a, if, if a word comes in that tells us to go somewhere else wise, we can instinctively dismiss it. So is this not how we live most of our days? Let's get really honest here. We wake up, and the obligations of the day and the needs of the day present themselves. So we have our plans, and, and, and then we, we think how we're going to carry out those plans. And throughout most of the day, we're carrying out our plans. We've got to do this, and we've got to do this, and here's another job we've got to do. And we're carrying out our plans. And then we go to bed and say, thank you, Lord, for blessing my plans. But how is that not being Lord of our own life? Because we're carrying out our own plans. Is there any place in our life where we give God permission to intervene, to interrupt us, to say, no, don't go there. I want you to go here. See, I, I think God's still talking all the time. He's still talking to us. It's just that because of our conditioning, we hear those words. I think all of us have heard those words. And once in a while you respond to it, it's like, oh, here's a crazy idea. You just don't identify it as, as a word of God or an impulse from God. Uh, but what can happen is that, that if we're all just doing our own plans, our own schemes, or whatever, then when we get some of these random things like, oh, notice that lady over there, maybe you should go talk to her, or whatever it is, we instinctively dismiss those as irrelevant. Why? Because they're not part of our plans. So what ends up happening is that to be a child of God, we pledge to give our life to Jesus, right? We surrender our life to Jesus. But see, the life that we surrender to Jesus it's, the only life we have is the life that we live moment by moment by moment. Right now, this life, right now. This is all you have to give him, this actual moment. And so what can happen is that we, 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 we in principle, surrender our life to Jesus. We pledge our life to Jesus. But then, the actual moments of our life, we live as Lord of our own life. Jesus, you are Lord. But then every actual moment, we're our own Lord because we're doing our own plans and he can't get a word in edgewise. You see what's wrong with this picture? Uh, to, to, to be surrendered to Jesus means you're surrendered in this moment. And what that means at the very least, and it means some other things beyond this, but it means this at the very least, is that you have some space in your life, some space in your, in your consciousness, where you're listening. That's why this series is titled, Listen Up. Where you're listening. And th- this is the thing, was, if Jesus is my sheep will hear my voice. Well, I, I think we have been, to a large degree, Partly from metaphysics, partly through psychology, we've just been dulled to the voice of God. We've been systematically conditioned not to identify the voice of God. And part of this series is, is learning how to, how to get in touch with that. I'll leave you with one more verse here. It's, it's uh, 1, Corinthians, or, or 1 Kings 9. Because it tells us really fundamentally what's going on here. The Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You're about to hear from God, right? Get ready, you're going to hear from God. It says, now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a sheer silence. And that's where the Lord was. The word sheer silence, it can mean uh, soft whisper or, or, or uh, abiding calm. But then it says, Elijah heard it. Elijah heard that. He heard the silence. He heard the sound of silence. There's a, the voice of God, see, we would like it to be obvious. 
Lord, will you just answer me? Boom, a mountain splits in two. Well, that'd be a, whoa, okay, God, I got that one. But no, God's not in the mountain. God, answer my prayer. Boom, this is an earthquake. Well, that seemed like a pretty impressive answer to prayer. But no, that was just a random earthquake. There's this fire coming down from heaven. Whoa, that's an answer to prayer. But God's not in the fire. We like, we, we like to be obvious, sensational. But the reality is that God works in the gentle, quiet, sheer, silent kind of way. He works with the gentle nudges, the impressions. Usually, now sometimes God can do spectacular, wonderful, supernatural things. But usually the voice that God uses is a still, small voice inside of us. In fact, in, in Proverbs 20, it says that the spirit of a person is the lamp that God uses to search their heart. The spirit of a person, that, that's your consciousness, your awareness. And God is the one, he holds you like a lamp to search your soul. You're the one searching, but God is the one searching with you, okay? So the, the voice of God in your mind usually will sound like your voice. There's not a clear telltale distinguishing mark, or at least in time you develop an awareness of that you can tell the difference. But at the start, it comes down to this, folks, and we'll justify this throughout the series, but if we're going to hear from God, we're going to have to be able to trust our imaginations because that's where God usually speaks. And the church has understood this throughout church history, calls the, the, the imagination the inner sanctum, the inner place where the things of God become real to us. Where, where, where we interact with God. In fact, it's not just a biblical understanding. Ancient people in general throughout all of history have understood that the imagination is, is the portal to the spiritual world. Uh, it's just, it's, biblical authors share that view. It's kind of been a given up until the modern West. It is, but we're conditioned to think that it's just maybe make-believe. It's just, it takes us away from reality. When it can do that, it can do that if, if, if we want to do that, but it also can take us to reality. And, and, and here's where we hear the voice of God. God speaks with a gentle nudge. God wants us to have to seek him. Because in the process of seeking him, that's what conditions our heart to be able to hear him. So it's not the kind of thing that's just going to come naturally. It's not going to happen by itself. God wants the people who are seeking him and who are getting to know his voice, getting to find him, and then who are bold enough to respond to him. And as we go through this and start to respond to those gentle nudges and, and those pushes, and those, sometimes he gives us pictures, we'll talk more about that as we go on, but that's when we start having kingdom coincidences where it becomes clear that this wasn't just a coincidence. God was really involved in this thing. And that's where it starts to become fun. Now the body is starting to connect to the head. And it's like, oh, we got things to do. And, and, and then when the head starts telling the things to do and things start happening, and that's when it starts to be fun. We want to be a people who aren't just marching to our own drummer, our own beat. We want to be marching to a different drummer, right? A different beat. We want to be hearing the voice of God walking in the spirit. Amen. Amen. That's what this series is about. I encourage you to just start, do this. Here's your little assignment. Start by just paying attention to little promptings in your, 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 your voice. I mean, in, in, in your heart, your inner voice. And, and I encourage you, try to once a day do something on the basis of some spontaneous impulse that you had, something that you didn't plan on doing once a day. All right? As long as what you're feeling impulse to do is consistent with the character of God that's revealed on the cross. If it's consistent with that, I encourage you to do it. Just step out. Worst case scenario, God wasn't telling you to do that, but you just did a nice Christian thing. That's not too terrible. But you might just find sometimes that as you respond to this, boom, God was really in this. And now you're starting to hear the voice of, of, of the Spirit. Would you stand? I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, these folks would love to just minister to you in the power of the Spirit and the power of the cross. Come up here and, and, and receive prayer. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider becoming one. If you want to find out more about that, these folks would love to explain to you what that is all about.
So as we leave here, folks, can we do it as a people who are committed to listening to the voice of God and responding to the voice of God, however crazy that might make us look in the short run. If you're open to that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. All right, God bless you. See you next week.